Gee's Kingdom! Y'all hear this? We've been fighting for all right all day. How about a little Viva Las Vegas? Viva Las Vegas! program everybody you just stepped inside of psychotic bump school the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul my name is dj roman i want to welcome you to another exciting edition of psychotic bump school so ladies and gentlemen tonight oh we have another amazingly full show coming off of super bowl 58 where the kansas city chiefs have done it again y'all Back-to-back Super Bowl champions for the very first time in about 20 years since the New England Patriots did it in the 2003-2004 season. The Kansas City Chiefs are the winners of Super Bowl 58. They did it in Las Vegas, Nevada, y'all. And Travis Kelsey and uh, Patrick Mahomes uh, bringing it home for the city of Kansas City in Missouri. So shouts out to Missouri and shouts out to all the Niners fans in my home state, California. Well, we'll try again next season. But hey, how about those Chiefs, right? And how about those Swifties? (laughs) Taylor Swift pulling it out in overtime man there hasn't been an overtime super bowl game in quite some time so it came right down to the wire and uh it was a pretty exciting game so shouts out to the kansas city chiefs shouts out to ice spice who joined taylor swift as well as blake lively as a matter of fact we got lively here tonight oh not that lively so let me explain Tonight's guests, ladies and gentlemen, we have one returning champ and three guests who are here for the very, very first time. So let me break it down. We're going to be welcoming back Rosalind Henderson. Rosalind Henderson is the founder of Leadership Keys, and she's helping teachers to avoid the unrelenting factor of burnout in their profession. So she has a workshop coming up this weekend in Long Beach, California, and she's going to be talking to us about self-care for teachers Ladies and gentlemen, Rosalind Henderson is back, and we're excited to talk to her. And joining us for the very first time, we're going to have speech and language pathologist Natasha Boyd, the Pragmatics Lady. Oh, my God, the Pragmatics Lady has a book out there called Pragmatics. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. Oh, my gosh. The Pragmatics Lady is here to break it all down to its final compound helping us to better understand the the, the interdynamics, the interwoven intricacies of better communication. So Natasha Boyd, the Pragmatics Lady, is going to be joining us this evening, as well as Liz Padilla Lively. (laughs) That's right. Liz Padilla Lively is a bilingual school psychologist and licensed marriage and family therapist out of Northern California. And she's going to be joining us for the very first time as well, talking to us about Valentine's Day, loneliness, how to find love, how to find love in self. Oh, man, this is the cuffing season, the season of Cupid this week. Valentine's Day is coming up and Liz Padilla Lively is going to be talking to us about what is really happening 
in the various communities regarding love, finding love, and finding inner love within ourselves. I'm really excited to have Liz here with us, joining us this evening. And on a somber note, we lost a legendary actor in the world of Hollywood and entertainment, Carl Weathers. That's right, the actor Carl Weathers made his transition this past week, and he passed away at the age of 76. He was known for starring roles in Happy Gilmore and, of course, The Mandalorian of recent years. But, of course, he's most famously known for his roles in both Predator and Rocky 1, 2, 3, and 4 as the legendary boxer Apollo Creed. Carl Weathers, y'all, made his transition, and to help us pay tribute to him, is one of his good friends, Mr. Mike Strafford, is joining us this evening to talk about his dear friend, Mr. Carl Weathers. Oh my God, we're gonna be breaking it down tonight. So uh, that's gonna be our lineup. And uh, you might wanna call your friends and family to the radio or the computer because we are about to set it off. So this is kcwgthetruth.com. My name is DJ Rome. Welcome to Psychotic Bump School. Stay tuned for more. We're gonna kick off our show with the Pragmatics Lady, Natasha Boyd. After this, this is Natasha Boyd, aka the Pragmatics Lady, and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWG, the truth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. People jeffing my checks be nice sums. By the way, I talk, you can guess where I'm from. Kansas City, chill. Kansas City, chill. Kansas City, Kansas City, Kansas City. Hell yeah. I was born in Wayne Minor. Projects, most people carry them waist liner. Objects, 904 Michigan. I'ma go kicking them rhymes and flow quicken in time. That's what made Niner. Progress, this is history. Young Rich and Dundilla team up with Mr. T. Even though none of our names are listed, we grew up with Ali, 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 Ali Gates. And I got on my jolly and gaudiness from RDH. City staple like Go Chicken Go. Get dough the most it can flow. When I'm rolling all around the globe, I'll be for sure missing Mo. In my city, man, I really love the fitties, though they gritty. How bad? Is talking down like we itty bitty, pretty. You better be wrapped up when the weather freeze. Threading the dead of summer, super sweat on your head degrees. Let it free. That is me on a home of pachetta cheese. Tech could be repping definitely. I betcha I never leave. Kansas City, born. Kansas City, love. Kansas City, Kansas City, Kansas City. Hell yeah. We bring the energy, the electricity, the votes. We the Kansas City heartbeat. We Kansas City post. This past post, Dave Jordan got us crispy. Truce was a slave owner. Google up that history. Kansas City is out of town, root hard in Dallas at Wizards in Atlanta at U-Bar. In my blue car, rolling with that merch on me. I'm KC till I'm six in the dirt, homie. Kansas City, it'll make you or break you. Shortcut through the hood, 7-1 straight through. Stay true to the turf, rep it like Shane Ray. Tatted on his back with the town when it's game day. Strains like the foundation, landmark, major factor. Names raised sky high, now they raise the Raptors. A victory for our hometown If they didn't know me Who's the Now they know me Kansas City Kansas City KC's the town home of the go-getters I've been stacking for years with getting most skrilla Chiefs on Sunday with tailgate and root for them Unlike a young Andy Reid, that's how I move on them Coaching through the town, staying motion through the town Push a foreign through the turf, I'll be floating through the town Yeah, when the deal go down, I'm probably in on it We like the Raws, we hustle until we win, uh We need 
need some goggles, I'll be champagne bottles poppin'. Campaigning with Tech Nine and the homie Papa KC brims and shirts. You know we stay rappin'. Peace to your nieces for a big breakfast. Club Empire standing on the club sofas. Rockin' fresh with ones like they some Gucci loafers. Block stars and rock stars like the Doobie Brothers. Holla out our city, come on, go ahead and say it for us. Kansas City, Kansas City, Kansas City, Kansas City, Kansas City. KCWG, the truth.com. The name of this program is Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, you know we have a myriad of very, very special guests on this program that deals with the broad spectrum of education, politics, relationships, and the like. And it is my honor to welcome this very, very special guest. She is a dear friend, actually, and she happens to also be, in her own right, extremely talented. She's very gifted in the world of speech and language pathology. She is a speech and language pathologist, and she's very good at it, ladies and gentlemen. And she's here to talk to us about the world of pragmatic language. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, please welcome for the very first time to Psychotic Bump School, our good sister, Natasha Boyd, a.k.a. the Pragmatics Lady, TPL in the house. How you doing, Ms. Boyd? Fantastic. Grand Rising to everyone. Grand Rising. Well, it is really exciting to talk to you because you know, well, I know you know that I really value what you do because I, I see how it impacts our day-to-day -day discourse. So you have an amazing book that I want to talk about, but you have a lot of insight and wisdom outside of this this wonderful literature that you've put together. So in a nutshell, Natasha, can you give us a really quick breakdown of what pragmatic language is, what it entails, and what is it about it that's made you so inspired to write a whole book about it? Can you talk to us about that a little bit? Exactly. 1991 is when the school started. I went over to that brand new school, fantastic area, you know, really excited everybody on board, ready to work with the kids. So as I went on, I would say, say year three, I noticed that the kids had difficulty, were having difficulty being sent out of class and those kinds of things. And I said, okay, everybody's on board, parents, these are fantastic people. What's going on, why? And as I looked through, I said, you know, having a speech background, I said, it's not their language, things are being taught correctly. But you know what it is? It's pragmatics and pragmatics deals with exactly what you're doing, not what you're saying, but what you're doing, you're nonverbal. I said, it is not what they're saying, it's what they're doing. I don't think they're aware. So I said, when you say someone is acting up, have an attitude, something of that nature, that just means that's subjective. But coming from this, the area of speech pathology, I know that being objective and being able to identify what's going on is the way you help people and help students. Right. So I kind of kept that in the back of my head yeah. as I went along. I started to see kids being sent out, saw them in the office, you know, and I kind of chat with them, but, you know, just moved on. So three years in, I kid you not, I walked into the office. I was just going to copy some papers and get ready for my therapy. And I saw a good 20 kids. Mm -hmm. And I said, Several of them were mine too. 
that I directly work with. And I, so I talked to them. I said, why are you in here? Like, what's your story? What's going on? And they said things to me like, well, I told the teacher I wasn't the one talking. She sent me to the principal. Another one said, um, teacher asked me to get my backpack and get in my backpack and get my book. And I said, okay, sent me to the office. So I can tell you that I would say beyond a shadow of a doubt, those were the words that came out of those students' mouths. Mm -hmm. But I also will share that, like, let's take that first statement. I wasn't the one talking. Mm -hmm. More than likely, it was more like this. I wasn't the one talking. <laughs> mm -hmm. Which is eye-rolling, probably, maybe invasion of personal body space, maybe um, blowing in air loudly, blowing out air loudly. And see, as you say, as those things I've stated with you, those are what you see. So the words are getting lost. Basically, words are about 7% of our communication. Mm. But that's what we focus on, the words. Yes. But if you, so my key was, wow, if we teach them pragmatic, them, they are aware of what their nonverbal says to them, we can make a difference. We can. So we I, can. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, so because this is my thing, so I get all excited. Mm -hmm. um, and so what I did was I talked with my principal, and she's very open. I said, "Well, can I just go in and talk to the kids? I think I can make a difference." Because she also was, of course, aware of the discipline difficulties. So I um, camped out in the PE classes, usually the for about two weeks. So they therefore, if you camp out in PE, you get to see all the kids. So I shared what I was talking about. I had a poster and I went through all of the areas of nonverbal that I would like to consider and think about. And they they locked in because they could understand. They, it was just clear for them. And what how I got to working with staff and other like business owners is that once a couple of times the kids came to me and said, Miss Boy, did you tell the teachers about this? Because they don't know about it. They don't know your vocabulary. They don't know what words you're using. This isn't working. So I said, uh-huh, they're correct. So then I started to work with the staff. And for many years, I did that. I would work with all of the students and staff. And so we all bought in. So you would see things like, we wouldn't tell parents, your kid have, has an attitude. We would say things like, if when I'm speaking to him, he would roll his eyes, turn his body away from me, or raise his volume. So that's very clear for parents because if you tell a parent, including me, that my child has an attitude, I probably get an attitude. But if you can identify what's going on, then that's something we can work on. Absolutely. Okay. Well, a couple of things jumped out at me. One, you said that you would hang out at PE. I want you to talk about what is it about that particular class that makes the environment rich and ripe for hearing and witnessing pragmatic language, one. And you also said, if I heard you correctly, 7% of what is being responded to are the words, but that leaves a whopping 93% left of something else. Uh, what is that something else? And why PE did you do most of your observations in? See, what PE honestly was where all the kids take PE. Not all the take, kids take a certain English or a certain science or those kinds of things. So if you get in PE, you can see all your, your um, student body. 
there's so many different ways to say hello. Mm -hmm. There's so many people, so many different ways to make one statement. It gives so many different meanings. So that's where that nonverbal is the huge portion of our communication. And we just are, we're not focusing on that. And okay. And that is that comprising of the 93% left over the nonverbal, the yeah, body language. Exactly. The body language is 90%. And when I say body language, I'm talking about your tone, your, your body posture, your, um, rhythm, your cadence, all those things make a difference. Mm. The actual words are right around the 7%. That's why what you say is very important. However, it's how you say it. Okay. So that's, that's an example. That's yeah, it is. So I'm looking in your book, ladies and gentlemen, Natasha Boyd has a book out there called Pragmatics. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. It's a workbook with fabulous activities therein. And she actually breaks down to its final compound what she's actually talking about, about how you say something. I'm thinking about, <laughs> I'm gonna go to your book in just a second, but there's this artist, ladies and gentlemen, named Dr. Dre. And on his album, I think, was it The Chronic? Or was it, it, it or maybe it was Snoop on uh, Doggy Style from 1993. And the guy, it was a skit. And the dude was calling his, his you know, his, his woman from jail. Oh, this is a terrible example. I'm sorry, Natasha. I'm going to call my pimp. She's going to come get me up out this motherfucker. Hey, what you smiling at in the corner? Then shut up and pass me a cigarette, fool. And I'm telling you, my pimp's going to come get me up out of here. Hello? Hello? Leroy? This ain't no motherfucker. Leroy? Hey, I'm in motherfucker. Yeah, you better come get me up out of here. It's me, baby. What's up? First of all, I ain't your Second of all, I ain't coming to get your ass from nowhere. Nah, you. You. Hey, hey, you better come pick me up in this motherfucker. That's all I know. Hey, hey, man, what you talking about, phone check? You better wait your turn, fool. Hey, come get me up out of here, baby. That's on the rear. Uh, if you don't, I'll just have my other come get me. Okay, I'll just drop you. Okay. She picks up the phone. He says, hello. I mean, so it's all in how you say something. So automatically she's off put by this tone, right? So in your book on page 15, you break down the different, you want us to learn the difference between pragmatic behaviors and how did you say it? And you have the sentence, please raise your hand before you speak, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven different ways you can say that one sentence? By changing one of the words and adding either uh louder volume or um, a hand gesture or uh, blowing out air loudly or blowing mm -hmm. sucking air in all those things you will change the way that sentence hits okay. can you work with me on this a little bit so that sure. maybe, maybe you can help me and I can help the audience so I'm just going to do two of them because Please raise your hand before you speak. It's written seven different times in her book called Pragmatics, ladies and gentlemen. But she's underlined a different word in each sentence. So, for example, I'm going to just do two. Can I just pick two random ones? And Oh, sure. And, sure. I'll, and, I, and I'll emphasize the, the word that you have underlined. And can you tell me what the difference is if I do it right now, Ms. Boyd? Okay. So, for example, um, please raise your hand before you speak versus... Please raise your hand before you speak. 
Now, those can come across two different ways. How, how would you receive each one of those based upon where I hit the cadence? So the first one, I would get that I'm a person who is speaking out without raising my hand or without permission. Mm. So you want to make sure true, true. that I'm clear. Yeah, your hand. That's right. That's right. That means your, I'm being true. singled out. I'm being singled out. Yes. And I wouldn't think that it would be stated like that for a whole class. If that's uh -oh. stated, I would think, oh, that's directly put to me. Oh, okay. Okay. Can I can I do two more? Sure. Okay. Same page, ladies and gentlemen. Same page, same sentence, same words, same in the same order. Um, <laughs> and I'm just gonna give two random ones and I'm gonna see if uh Natasha Boy can tell us the difference. Please raise your hand before you speak versus please raise your hand before you speak. What'd you get out of those two? Well, the first one I get that it's a kind of a frustration because this has gone on over and over, but I see it more as a group situation, not <laughs> one individual. Like, like James I'm, Brown singing, please, 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 James Brown. Exactly. Back <laughs> or a new teacher, a new teacher that's having difficulty with discipline and, you know, Discipline and keeping our kids focused. Wow. Yeah. Well, y'all, please be quiet for one second. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Exactly. Okay. So it's definitely, yes. And how about the second one? Please raise your hand before you speak. So I'm still thinking that they need, they're not clear. It's very clear that this is not happening on a consistent basis and the person is getting frustrated. Right. So what I find very interesting, and I think what's helpful is that when people engage in this, and it, it's, it seems like it's inextricably tied to discipline, wouldn't you say? Or being connected to the reason why a child is being unsuccessful based upon how they're being perceived in class. How much would you guesstimate this is contributing to... Um, you know, unacceptable behaviors out in society if people, in this case, children's speech is being perceived to be something other than what they intended it to be based upon how we as adults are perceiving it. Uh, what problems down the line could possibly be awaiting someone that constantly is subjected to this type of treatment? I think that it, it's huge. I think if students are taught right away how, because the big deal, and I always share, is that the reason we talk is to communicate. And so if your message is not being present, presented in the manner that you would want to, it's a waste of time, especially for students. That's why they get that frustration. Mm -hmm. I hear that all the time. She isn't, I said it, she's not listening to me. They're not, they don't get it. So mm -hmm. if they are clear that they're nonverbal and their verbal need to match, so the communication is given directly and precisely the way they would have it to be said and in the meaning that they want it to mean, mm -hmm. then the communication flows and that will go through business, schools, everywhere. And the big deal is, you know, we talk about schools and that's where I thought I would start and really end, but I've changed my mind since then because communication needs to be across the board. Everything we do, we have to communicate. And so if our students are taught, what do students end up being? If our students are taught to be clear, concise communicators, then when they go out in the world, 
That's what they do when they grow up, when they're commentators, when they're sports figures, when they're business owners. Mm-hmm. They're clear, concise communicators. Absolutely. And everything, I mean, because of our environment, we started school. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the impact and the impact you make at school carries on. You'll know there's grown-ups who remember a third grade teacher or a sixth grade teacher that stated something with them that they still remember. Mm-hmm. So I want them to remember that it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And your communication is everything about you. Yes. And the reason you want to even do it is because you want to be heard and you want to be heard clearly. Well, okay. So um, we have a few more minutes left. So this week also, Natasha, just happens to be uh, Valentine's Day week for those that celebrate and honor, you know, mm-hmm. uh, holidays as such. It's not, I mean, it's not a day off, but it, it's it's a celebrated season of uh, Cupid, okay? And mm-hmm. On page seven of your book, because I'm just wondering how this is how fair is it to say that perceiving speech is a rather subjective process, meaning it it just kind of depends on uh, nothing that's verified and objectively factually true, like etched in stone. This is empirical date stamp it. This is it. it it's it's a uh, it's subjective. So it's it's all in the eyes of the beholder is how fair is it to, to say pragmatic languages in that realm. Is that fair? Um, I Well, see, I probably would disagree. Yeah, go ahead. I, um, hmm, because I think that most pragmatic, what I call culprits, facial expression, facial grimaces, eye rolling, pretty mm-hmm. much those are stated, they have oh. universal meaning i get it yes you see what i'm saying so i wouldn't say i i think that the more of the words are subject because <laughs> i say more. all i said was i liked her dress <laughs> but it, but did you say i liked her dress or did you say <laughs> i like your dress <laughs> wow okay i said the same word <laughs> i remember one of my my children my own i won't say their names Okay. That they were sent outside, mm-hmm. and they they were said told that the message was to me is that they were making fun of a young man's haircut. Mm-hmm. And when I spoke to my my child, they said all I said was I like your haircut. Mm-hmm. And I'm true. I agree. I'm sure that's what they said. But how did they say it? Mm-hmm. Were they rolling their eyes? Were they laughing? Were they turned around? Were they pointing? Mm. So I think that that is where I would say uh, pragmatics is not is not subjective, but if the words can be and are often yes. very subjective. This is Natasha Boyd, the pragmatic lady, the pragmatics lady. Let me put the S at the end. Work on my pragmatics. <laughs> The Pragmatics Lady, ladies and gentlemen, Natasha Boyd, her book and workbook is called Pragmatics. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. Natasha Boyd, I am so excited and I'm very proud of you because I remember when you first were telling me about this, I, I had no idea it had such a, uh, such a, so it touches an emotional center when I think about the history of it. And you've actually done this work and have implemented it and you're inspired to do this by kids. And, you know, that's why it's so wonderful that you're actually doing it and to see it come to full circle fruition is very exciting. 
I think uh, people just in all walks of life can benefit from this. I mean, we, we absolutely much, but when we talk about uh, communication, relationships, this Valentine's Day week and everything, I mean, it's all everything. Things, it's 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 in everything. It's literally it's, in everything that we do. Yeah. So, so if you don't mind, I, I want to make real, real quick com uh, mm -hmm. comment. Mm -hmm. My dream is to work with the rookie class of NFL. Uh, football teams so I just like to put that out so I know because I watch them and I see I can tell the ones I feel that are, are going to get all these endorsements and do well and the ones that will not and a lot of it is they're nonverbal. Uh oh so I would love to that's something that I want to get into as well so I think there's no one that could not benefit mm -hmm. from being pragmatized mm -hmm. definitely definitely well, and you can see how it could be useful for them because they often get into, <laughs> they find themselves in some really compromising situations, don't they? When they're not- Absolutely. Language. So, absolutely. absolutely. This, this is effective and useful in all walks of life. All walks. Tasha, and because it's so uh, generalized in all walks of life, I'd love for you to come back sometime so we can talk about some other issues because it, it's, it's literally- in our day-to-day -day discourse and you know we're in a heavy election season right now and there's going to be a lot of misconstrued statements flown back and forth across the political spectrum and just in life in general um you know i'm a dear fan of yours and uh will you come back and join us sometime on psychotic bump school it would be my pleasure my pleasure you've been so supportive and i truly appreciate it absolutely pragmatics y'all the pragmatics lady natasha boyd stay tuned for more y'all we'll be right back after this This is Professor Roz Henderson, author of Beyond Self-Care Basics for Teachers, and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWG, thetruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. Harder than you do. No Yo, what you do. like I was saying, a forerunner. Calls himself echoes to a voice yet unheard word. There's a telltale smell to the thoughts you're thinking. Force your minds in the gutter. Your heart pumps shit and you're stinking. You stink of physical rigor mortis in the unburied body of the dead. Ideas at odds with all equality. A school of thought. Don't you get it? You thought you farted, but you lifeless, exhausted breath of unspent manhood, domestic speculators and swindlers, rich and predatory money lenders and local loan sharks, the banking institution, are more dangerous to our liberties than standing armies. The issuing powers of money should be taken from the banks and restored to the people. The coin of the realm. It is unlikely that consideration of humanitarianism or patriotism interlocking international financing of the agony of World War One. Teachers work harder than you, no matter Nearly for a dose of ignorance aided and abetted by a lot of apprehension and indifference. 
Upright, uptight, up to no good, up at the upper class and up to no Teachers good. Work harder than you now do. that no you have it. No matter what you do, by words, the effect of a picture vivid and lifelike. Teachers work harder than you do, no matter what you do. Okay, we are back. KCWG, the truth.com. The name of this program is Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, we are having a rather robust conversation visiting the field of education and life and society. And I tell you, uh, an organization called Leadership Keys has really been at the epicenter of building a more resilient, um, resourceful, and uh, an industry that's bent towards self-care. And I can't think of anyone that has been more of a proponent of this very philosophy than our next guest right here. It's been a very long time since she's been here, but I'm very excited that she's here to talk about this, this event she has coming up this weekend on Saturday out in Long Beach, and I'm going to have her talk to us all about it. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, our good sister, Miss Rosalind Henderson. Miss Henderson, how you been? Hey, I am doing fabulous, Rom. It's great to talk to you. It's great yes. to connect with you and, and to have a, another substantial conversation with you. Oh, it's always a robust conversation whenever we have you here. So talk about what you got coming up, because ever since I've known you, you have been an advocate like no other for the uh, the teacher. And I tell you that that's a skill set and mentorship is always needed. But you, you're doing something really special in Southern California this weekend on February 17th. Can you talk to us a little bit about this self-care event you have coming up? Absolutely. It is definitely a passion project of mine. I was a teacher for 30 years. I'm now retired. And just to give you a, a little backstory before I talk about the event that's coming up, yes. uh, this book that I wrote, Beyond Self-Care uh, Basics for Teachers, really comes out of my own experiences. I had my first panic attack, I think in the early 90s as a teacher. Mm-hmm. I remember yeah. being in my first grade class and yes, class from hell okay <laughs> and mm. I had symptoms my heart started racing I thought it was jumping out of my chest my hands were quaking I was sweaty dizzy and like most teachers I took it on the chin I thought I could wade through it but maybe 30 45 minutes later I called the principal I was whisked to emergency where I sat for the longest time <laughs> and mm. then the a uh, physician, the doctor, gave me a quick look over and said, oh, you're in perfect health, uh, Miss Henderson. Mm. And I was like, hmm, I don't understand. It feels like I'm having a heart attack. Mm. And he goes, oh, uh, uh, you know, that's stress. That's the stress. Now, what I can do is give you a Xanax to cut the edge off, take the edge off. But you're good to go to school tomorrow. I was happy to hear that. My body was in good order, but Mm -hmm. these panic attacks continued. And it really did push me to start looking for answers because I wanted to be a good teacher and at the same time experience work-life balance. And so I went through therapists. I went, I've gone uh, through programs with leadership trainers. And I basically amassed all techniques and strategies think are very specific to teachers over these 30 years, and I'm sharing those things. So Friday, it's just a simple celebration that the book is finally uh, accomplished, and it's volume one. There's a volume two that's coming out soon, but that's volume one, and it's very specific to the things that I have seen that 
really uh, practices and mindsets that really put teachers in a place of peril if they don't do some stress intervention. We don't want them to burn out. A self-care strategy that is a uh, little known, con- uh, not really considered a strategy is learning how to say no. Let's mm-hmm. be honest. The teachers tend to wear about 25 different hats. That's expected of us, right? So we're the counselor, uh, we're the instructor, we are the parents, we are the cheerleaders, we're the coach, you name it. But that is unsuitable. I know that's the message that we receive from parents and from society, but that's undoable for any length of time. But a lot of us teachers wanting to be quote-unquote good teacher, we acquiesce to those 25 different hats, trying to wear them well for 10, 15, 25 years. And again, we're really, we're really just affecting our emotions. Uh, it affects our mental wellness. It affects our body. The stress affects our relationships. It affects um, uh, how we interact with, with, with time. How do you make energy? And how do you spend your energy? All of that is affected just by simply uh, being unable to say no. What have you seen in terms of teachers' capacity to do some of these things you're talking about? Are they doing a better job of implementing their boundaries? I think that's a learned skill. Uh, Mm -hmm. Setting boundaries is a learned skill. I think that what the coronavirus did was really highlight some of these issues and and put a limelight on it, mm-hmm. uh, to be honest with you, but skills such as learning how to speak up, you know, that took for me as a teacher for 30 years, it took practicing, it took taking it from little instances where I could pa- practice boundary setting all the way to setting boundaries with administration. That is uh, a step-by-step evolution that, Oftentimes you need support to be able to do. I knew, for instance, that I had made big progress. And I did this progress. It was, I had a therapist, but I knew I had made big progress when uh, there was a time, I remember years ago, that I was going to have a conference with a, a parent. It's recess time. I'm, I'm approaching the office, the principal's in the office, the mom's in the office. And I could hear this mom just really screaming on top of her lungs about who I was and what I was not. This meeting was about her daughter who was uh, really failing second grade. And I wanted to come together with her to see how we can help her child succeed. There were some missing elements there. When I immediately got into the room, her venom (laughs) was definitely shot towards me. And she was talking, oh, I don't, you know, uh, she never gets her homework. I don't understand why she's struggling in math and, and, and all these subjects. And she was just really high decibel. Speaking of this, a high decibel. She was really angry. And I remember just trying to get oriented to, to the conversation after a short while, though, I just stood up and I said, I'm going to call her Mrs. Wright. I said, Mrs. Wright, with all due respect. Uh, I'm here for these reasons. I, I'm on your side. I want to help your daughter succeed, you know, um, and I've been trying to contact you for a while now for coming by, but until you can talk to me like an adult, adult to adult, 
with respect, then I'm leaving. And I got up and I left, you know, and they were actually shocked <laughs> that I had done something like that. But I spoke in professionalese. It was professional language. But it was very important to me whether whatever their reaction was important to me that I respected myself enough to speak up for myself because what this is is a business. I'm here providing service and I, I respected myself in that moment and I was able to build on that respect where I was able to garner uh, respect from others because I respected myself. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. to answer your question, I think the coronavirus has highlighted these issues even more, but a lot of these these practices that teachers are lost in is because you know we've been in uh, a field where certain messages have been accepted, and we've down downloaded some of these messages about how we show up as teachers. And until we change the narrative, it just won't change. It sure won't. And they say the first rule or law of nature is self-preservation. So you have this event coming up called Beyond Self-Care Basics for Teachers coming up in Long Beach on Saturday, February 17th. Uh, what can we expect once we get there and what's it going to be all about? Uh, thank you for asking. So, of course, I have a big heart for my fellow colleagues, and that's why I, I wrote the book. I'm also helping, I think, uh, different districts in the sense that you know, there's high absenteeism among teachers. Teachers are leaving the field left and right. The, the best and the brightest teachers are leaving the field because they are burning out. So uh, at this event, which is at a beautiful gallery, we're going to, of course, have a book signing. But we're also going to be talking about the issues, a couple of the issues that are um, in the book. I'm going to be laying the foundation for teachers to build a self-care system, not a here and there system. It has to be a, a system that they use every day to address the different stressors that there are uh, in, in, in life and in our profession. Again, uh, we're addressing the emotions, the, the physical, how we time management, mental, just different areas of stress. How can we address that? My son, Dr. Uh, Emil, will also be coming on and he'll be talking about the ravages of stress. By the time you see him in, in the emergency, oh my goodness, your stress has now become a disorder. Yeah. Sometimes a heart attack, mm -hmm. you know, cardiovascular issues, diabetes. Sometimes it is it, it becomes that, and we want to avoid that. Stress can be managed so that it doesn't take. So we're going to be talking about that. I also have really great interviews with teachers across the United States. One of them, Lewis, is going to share his unbelievable life and death experience and his principal's reaction to that and how self-care has been uh, top of the list now for him. Lock, stock, and barrel. And it's going to be food, it's going to be networking. It's going to be a, a lot of fun. Wow. Well, that's good stuff. And I can imagine just about any industry, we just happen to be fortunate in the field of education that you're doing this for teachers and educators in general. I can think of a whole lot of industries that could use some lessons in uh, yes. self-care because uh, if you, you look at our politics right now, you got a lot of young Republican senators, you know, stepping out right now just simply because they're burned out. It wasn't necessarily meant to be a life uh, endeavor, 
but people are realizing that you truly cannot, no matter what industry you're in, Rosalind, you can't burn the candle at both ends and not expect it to yes. have adverse impact on you. You just can't. So this event you're talking about is going to be uh, Gina's Woodruff's Art Gallery. Is that correct? Looks like correct. that reads. And uh, can you give us the time and location of this event beyond self-care basic yes. features? So this upcoming Saturday, 11 to 1, short and sweet, and it's located in Long of the gallery. It is 5555 Stearns Avenue. And it's going to be, I think, really life-changing. Uh, my goal is to get as many teachers really taking themselves off the bottom of the to-do list and putting themselves on the, the top. And when you're able to do that, then you can come in and be the best teacher you can possibly possibly be. Always reaching out for life, uh, work-life balance. It's about the work-life balance that I am trying to help teachers achieve because I wanna retain the best and the brightest. I wanna see teachers just stay in this career, you know, for the longest time. We need the best. Yeah, we do. And our kids deserve no less, right? Absolutely. That's the bottom, bottom line. It yeah. is um, really wanting to, and, and, and that's why teachers have become teachers. Often in, you talk to a teacher, so many of them were excited and, and they were just 110% in and they were so, you know, energetic. They came in wanting to give to children and to be a leader in their academic progress. I mean, that's what, what really gets us excited. But, and this is in the book too, so many teachers now have lost their love of teaching. How do you rekindle that? Yes. So these are the kind of topics that are so worth coming into the gallery and, and exploring. Uh, and I even have future, um, you know, ideas and hopes to continue this conversation uh, across the United States. Amen. Gina's Woodruff's Art Gallery is where it goes down. Five, 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 five. That's four fives, y'all. 5555 East Stern Street in Long Beach, California. Zip code is 90815. Rosalind Henderson is hosting Beyond Self-Care Basics for Teachers. She's also the author of Beyond Self-Care Basics for Teachers. Okay, so come out and join Rosalind this Saturday in Long Beach. Rosalind Henderson is always a joy to have you here. And it's been a very, very long time. And you know, I'm a big fan of your work. Uh, will you join us again sometime on Psychotic Bomb School? Oh, uh, it's my pleasure. I'd love to. This is Liz Badia Lively, bilingual school psychologist and licensed marriage and family therapist. And you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome on KCWG, thetruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. Baby, you can. Oh, 
wgthetruth.com. The name of this program is Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, as you're aware, this week is Valentine's Day week for all those who celebrate this season of Cupid. Uh, I'm often challenged to think about what it's like for our respective citizens around the world who uh, some who view this as a bit of a pagan holiday, some who are gung-ho about it, but some who are, you know, sort of, um, I don't know, downtrodden or pessimistic rather than optimistic. I think there's a broad spectrum of experiences out there. And I have a guest here who's going to talk to us a little bit about modern relationships during this particular season in 2024 of modern relationships. Valentine's Day is here once again, y'all. So to help me have this conversation, I'm really happy to welcome back this wonderful, talented individual. She's a bilingual school psychologist in Northern California. She also happens to be a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I'm really excited to have her here. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome for the very first time to Psychotic Bump School, Miss Liz Padilla Lively. Miss Lively, how you doing? I am doing well, my friend. Thank you so much for having me on. This is such an honor. Oh, it is an honor for us to have you. Well, I know this is a topic that is near and dear to your heart. Heart, see what I did there? Valentine's Day, heart, love, bah, ha, ha, ha. Okay, but this is close to a lot of us here. And I'm wondering, uh, what's your take on this season of love in 2024, Valentine's Day? Does it stoke excitement, optimism, or does it engender a lot of loneliness and frustration? What can you tell us about this season of Valentine's Day in the age of modern relationships. Can you talk to us about that a little bit? Absolutely. Well, I think, like you said, it, it, it kind of involves a little bit of everything. It kind of depends on where the person is in their life, um, what's going on with them. Um, I tend to call it like the bitter critter Valentine's Day syndrome sometimes, you know, but, um, mm. it, you know, it just kind of depends on where people are. But I think that as a society, um, and this could be a completely different topic, but I think that whole quote unquote, what is loneliness? Like we're, we're so busy all the time, but are we really fulfilled? So I think it's deeper than the whole Valentine's Day uh, scenario or syndrome as they call it. Yeah, but isn't it kind of a little bit like Christmas where people feel compelled to be a little bit more generous even though they may not naturally be that way? I think the same thing can be said about Valentine's Day, right? Even if you're not in love, you kind of feel that that nudging that perhaps maybe you should be. You know, in the hood, they call it cuffing season. This is <laughs> cuffing season. Uh, what kind of pressure does that put on people? Well, I mean, of course, you know, even, you know, I, I remember being, you know, back in my former life when I worked at an insurance company and whenever it was Valentine's Day, we would always like see, okay, who's getting roses, who's getting candy, who's getting something delivered from their special someone, right? So mm -hmm. I think if someone is in that perspective where they haven't really gotten to a space, whether they're in a relationship or on their own to where they're okay on them, you know, just being on their own. Um, and I know it can be cliche, but you know, like loving yourself, then you don't need that external validation. Yes. Does it, um, I think it could potentially, you know, trigger some like exacerbation of people feeling lonely or less than cause they're not coupled up. Um, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, the, the holidays as well, like Christmas, sometimes people just feel lonely if they, if they're not right with their family or if they have certain gaps that they haven't learned to fulfill on their own. Does that make sense? It does. And 
You and I were looking at an article about the loneliness of Valentine's Day this year and how it stokes this sense of FOMO. I mean, people just feel naturally uh, inclined toward being in relationships, even if they don't have one. Uh, what are your thoughts about that? And you, you did mention loneliness a minute ago. Is uh, that generally uh, more pervasive than people tend to want to talk about how lonely they are? Yeah, well, and, and, and I love that article because that's kind of what got me thinking about it is that um, I think as a society, again, we're all putting on this like illusion of being so happy thanks to social media, right? Um, yeah. And then we see, you know, all of these things that are posted or, you know, that it could, you know, give us FOMO. I mean, I get FOMO when I see people hiking these beautiful trails with their well-behaved dogs, right? So, you know, uh -huh. my, my puppy is not quite there yet. But mm -hmm. as far as like the FOMO really getting to the point of loneliness and people really feeling bad and alone without knowing either one, how to sit with that or two, how to reach out to someone um, doesn't have to be a romantic partner, but to be able to express that loneliness and that need. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think it could it, you know, it, it does definitely have the potential to open up the door to to sadness. Hmm. Wow. So ladies and gentlemen, in case you don't know, FOMO is the acronym F-O-M-O, -O, fear of missing out. Okay. So yeah, there is that sense. It's kind of like, it's like everybody's birthday today and everybody should be getting flowers today, but the reality is everybody does not. And even when you think of that office scenario that you talked about, um, how, I don't know, the word toxic comes to mind, but that's probably not the most appropriate word. When you do see somebody getting a Valentine and you may not, because if you work in the school systems, this is a pretty sensitive time for adolescents, kind of similar to prom season. Did anybody ask you to the prom or did they not? Did anyone ask you to dance with them at the, the, uh, the pep rally or did they not? But are people finding ways to cope with their quote unquote loneliness outside of traditional relationships? Well, and you know, I'm glad that you that you said that because yes, I agree. Just like you know, I I, I know I kind of came off like I was bashing social media, but um, there are some some benefits to it. So I'm not saying that it replaces true human connection, but you know, there's just a world at our fingertips as far as finding um, sites that promote um, self-affirmation, self-love, kind of reminding us who we are, you know? So I do think that there is, there are more things accessible than like back in the day a bajillion years ago, you know, when I was working at that office. But, mm. um, I, and like you mentioned, oh, you know, I work at a middle school and, and we did, I just had this conversation with someone that they're doing, I think candy grams or something at lunch. And I kid you not, it triggered me back to seventh, eighth grade. And I was remembering when I would feel bad, you know, like if I didn't get a candy gram. But I think I was telling someone recently, so just send one to yourself. Like, you know, you don't need to wait for someone to send you a candy gram. You know, you have to really just kind of be okay with you. But that's obviously a really tough skill to have in middle school, let alone at our age, right? But we're at least talking about it now and being okay with, being vulnerable and not always having to put up that front, so they say. Ooh. Is there a such thing as Galentine's Day? I think I saw something trending on Twitter uh, maybe a couple years ago. Galentine's Day, G-A-L instead of V-A-L. Galentine's Day where women support each other during this time uh, for various reasons. Maybe they're fresh out of a relationship or a marriage and they want to be supportive. Um, 
That's one question. The other part is, if you wanted to get that gram, can you think of one or two things someone could do this close to the actual day to make themselves more open and receptive and uh, in the pathway of being on the recipient of a loving overture during this season? Because we are more vulnerable during this time, wouldn't you say? I mean, you know, it's 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 like in our face, right? But we're we're gonna I'm gonna be positive and say, well, you know, yeah, love is in the air. I mean, you know, hearts and roses, you know, and external affirmations of love for each other. Um, but um, and just backtracking a little bit, yes, there absolutely is Valentine's Day. Um, and I think that, and I, I'm I'm certain maybe for males as well, but I think that for women, having a solid friendship base to help you just kind of rise when you're not feeling super, you know, um, with it or just listening or helping celebrate whatever comes into your life. I think that's really important um, to have friendships and relationships. So um, I myself have celebrated Valentine's Day um, just last year and it was great. I wonder what impact the pandemic had when we were forced to kind of be at home, you know, distance learning for those that work in education and remote work, hybrid assignments. Uh, are you, do you have any thoughts on how much that, that sort of forced seclusion had on relationships today, even though we're four years removed from the onset of COVID? Yeah, you know, every day, Rome, I still realize, I think being mental health professionals, perhaps because we were in the trenches, even if we were working from home, but mm -hmm. we were kind of, you know, needing to be there for others. But now with every day, every month, every year post pandemic, I realized how traumatic that was, at least for me personally, to be kind of cut off. I mean, at first, yeah, it was cool. Oh, yeah, we get to, you know, work from home, wear my yoga pants, whatever. But after a while, like I didn't realize kind of at least even for me and those around me, just how much I needed that human interaction. And now, like I, every day I go to work, I tell at least one person on, you know, that I work with, hey, I'm really, I really appreciate you. Even though the job gets hard sometimes, but I am so grateful to have that interaction and to just kind of feel less lonely. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. I have a whole new appreciation for my work family because I miss them. Yes, isn't that something? Yeah, That's yeah. Something. And, and so it doesn't always have to be romantic love or or situations, right? Sometimes we have it right in front of us and we don't even realize it, you know, where we do feel complete. And, and again, maybe this is me watching too many rom-coms, but the minute I feel like a person feels happy and complete with themselves, that's when the door really opens up to share that love with someone else. Oh, look at that. Being able to look into our own mirrors and say, you had me at hello, right? <laughs> Her exactly. name is Liz Padilla Lively. She's a bilingual school psychologist and a licensed marriage and family therapist in Northern California. We got to have you back so we can keep talking about this stuff. This stuff doesn't just go away just because the season goes away. This relationship stuff and loneliness is becoming a really, really big topic. Uh, Liz, will you come back and join us sometime on Psychotic Bump School to talk more about this? I would be honored to, Rome. Thank you so much for having me today.
WGTheTruth.com. The name of this program is Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, the world of entertainment and film was rocked with the news of the passing of the legendary actor Carl Weathers. That's right, y'all. Um, I couldn't believe a friend of mine had sent me the text that the good brother had made his transition. It was completely unbeknownst to me that he was uh, going through, you know what I'm saying? And hearing the news or reading that text from him, it just really, really uh, disrupted my day. Uh, Carl Weathers meant more to people than people actually realize. And he is, uh, in hindsight and, you know, future vision, he is absolutely motivation personified when you just think about the impact that he's had in the world of cinema, in the world of fitness, in the world of sports. Oh man, in the world of television, acting. Uh, the good brother could do it all. And um, I'm just really blessed to have uh, a good friend of his able to join us and to shed some light and some perspective on the passing of this good brother, Mr. Carl Weathers. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome for the very first time to Psychotic Bump School, the good brother, Mr. Michael Stratford. Mr. Stratford, how are you doing, good brother? I'm good, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Oh man, the pleasure is all ours. Well, it hit me like a rock. So I can't even imagine what it did for you, man. Um, 
What can you tell us about the good brother, Mr. Carl Weathers? That was your brother, man. Uh, what are your thoughts, man? How are you doing today, first of all? I'm good, man. It, it's, uh, you know, it's, I guess it's a week today at, at, yeah. at this recording that mm -hmm. he actually passed. Um, it's been, it's, it's been an incredible, incredibly difficult week yeah. because, uh, you know, Carl and I have been really good friends since I met him in 2008. And I was just with him. My wife and I were just with him and his girlfriend and a number of his other friends for his 76th birthday uh, about, I guess, three weeks ago now. And he was hale and hearty and happy and having a great time. And, you know, he just looked like he would live forever. I mean, he just, you know, you, you hear the term larger than life yeah. about people. He was really larger than life. But at the same time, was incredibly grounded and had a just a big heart and a, and a great spirit. So mm -hmm. it's a uh, it's really, I mean, it's it's a devastating loss. It's it's you know I'm I'm still processing it because yeah, like I said, having just seen him and him being so healthy and 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 happy as he always was, you know, that was just the last thing I expected. Um, but the I, the craziest thing was he and I were supposed to have lunch that day uh, for to, to get together and talk about a project because he had been saying for a while, Mike, let's find something to do together. And I came up with the project that I thought was the right thing. And I reached out and he said, well, let's do it Thursday because my week is jammed otherwise. Like, great. So I sent him a text Thursday, last Thursday morning about eight o'clock. And I said, hey, you know, where do you want to meet up? What time? And I didn't hear back. And that was odd because Carl's one of those guys, you send him, you know, you send a message, he'll hit you right back, even if he can't talk. Hey, tied up, call you in an hour, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't hear back from him. I assumed he was probably at the gym because he generally worked out in the morning at goals. And uh, so I called him about 1130 and didn't get him. And I just assumed something, you know, something came up and he was just tied up. And then uh, that evening, my wife asked me, she said, did you ever hear from back from Carl? I said, no. She said, that's a hot, I'm like, yeah, it is. And then I, you know, I just didn't really think a lot more about it. Like I said, I just assumed that he had uh, something going on because yeah, he was, he was busy. He was, he was doing a lot of stuff. He was developing a, uh, a television idea with with another friend of his, uh, you know, that looked like he was going to be in Mandalorian, the motion picture, and you know, the Super Bowl spot that's coming up, and you know, he's, he's always had stuff going on. Mm -hmm. So Friday morning, when I'm at my computer and it just pops up on my computer that he passed, I man, I just, I just couldn't believe it. Just couldn't believe it, man. I can only imagine, man, uh, friendship enduring since 2008. How did that even happen in the first place? How did your paths cross? Well, at the time I was working for Sony and I was working for uh, this online portal that Sony had bought called Crackle. And I was head of content and programming. And uh, we were doing a 10 part miniseries called Angel of Death, starring Zoe Bell. And the writer, Ed Brubaker, he's a, he's a well-known comic book writer, had written Angel of Death. And I asked him if he had anything else 
uh, that he hadn't finished that was just sitting around. So he gave me this treatment for the story idea called DOA. It was about a retired cop who owned a bar and found out that he was poisoned and he had to find out who poisoned him before he died. And, you know, and I read it and I'm like, man, that, that would be a cool project for Carl Weathers. And I didn't know Carl at the time, but I knew his agent. So I reached out to his agent and I sent him the treatment and he called me a few days later. He said, hey, Carl really likes this. He'd li like to meet with you guys. So he came down to the set and we were shooting Angel of Death and I met him and uh, he met the writer and we had, you know, he hung out for a few hours. We had great, great talk, great conversation. And unfortunately, we were never able to get that project off the ground because my, my boss got fired and the guy that replaced him was scared to uh, was scared to do any any new projects. So it just went by the wayside. But um, uh, Carl and I just stayed in touch and, you know, we just we just clicked. I mean, to this to this day, I can't tell you why we clicked the way we did, but, you know, we just did. Mm -hmm. And we were tight. Uh, we were tight mm -hmm. up until up until the end. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. How about that? I mean, I'll share something with you later on. It's it's uh, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, you know, just experiencing you just in this short time, I can tell. And um, at that time in 2008 and you were already doing some uh, other projects, you reached out to his manager. Uh, can you uh, recall, uh, you, you thought of him for a reason and he, he had such a distinguished presence on the screen. He had that voice, he had that stature. You talked about him normally working out at Gold's Gym was sort of a normative thing for him. So what was it about uh, Carl himself? I mean, when you were envisioning somebody who could fill or fit that suit for that particular part and the man you came to actually know and develop an enduring friendship with, what, what was it that you admired about Carl Weathers before you met him? Um, you know, I, he just, he just always to me presented a person that regardless of the role that was confident in who he was, was clear about who he was and stood straight and really didn't kowtow. Um, but at the same time, showed a lot of heart and a lot of compassion. And then this treatment for this project, the way this former cop was described, just made me think of an older Action Jackson, you know, hmm. that that had kind of been through it, but survived. And he still had his nobility and he still had his power intact. And, um, you know, Carl's one of those guys that even though he didn't have a lot of uh movies where he was the only star you know he just always had a lot of presence no matter what he was in whether it was a small role and something like force 10 from not force 10 mm -hmm. from uh, navarone or uh you know a featured role in predator or you know whatever it was um so i you know he was just he was never he was he was a guy that i always thought man that guy should be up in there. He should be on that Mount Rushmore that Stallone and Schwarzenegger and I guess Bruce Willis uh, um, would enjoy to some degree. But he just didn't. He just didn't have 
didn't have those opportunities. And I think when he did have the opportunities, like with Action Jackson and Hurricane Smith, they really didn't know what to do with that kind of black man. You know, so they kind of stuck him in, in some relatively generic action films, but he was still him. You know, he, he was good. The movies just left a bit to be desired. How would he assess his contribution to that genre of action films being the lead uh, as a brother uh, coming up in Hollywood? You know, he, Carl really wanted to be a working actor. That's what he was interested in. He, he wasn't really hung up on being a star. He, he wanted to be an actor. You know, he wanted to be a working actor that could work in different genres that was respected. So, you know, in the last few years, when he started getting opportunities to direct, he was really, really fulfilled by that. He really enjoyed that. And, and you know, he felt like it gave him an opportunity to take his experience and share it with younger actors and to be able to help, you know, help them get some clarity on what they were doing and why they were doing it. And the idea that people saw him as more than uh, just a personality in front of a screen was really gratifying for him. So I don't think he spent a lot of time uh, hung up on what didn't happen and what should have been. I mean, he just, he wasn't that kind of guy. I mean, he was just always about moving forward and, and, you know, finding another mountain to climb and, you know, just and being energized and trying to help you climb your own mountain. And, um, mm. you know, and, and look, I'm sure Carl had, had his demons and devils or whatever, because nobody's perfect. But, you know, my, my experience with the guy was he, he was the, the best friend that somebody could have. He was dependable. He was loyal and it's been really cool, even though it's been kind of painful to see all of these tributes and acknowledgments from people that have worked with him that know him. It's like, this is the same guy because everybody's saying the same thing, mm -hmm. you know, about how, how helpful he was, how kind he was, how supportive he was, how encouraging he was. Uh, one guy that I used to work with at Sony had posted, I had posted something on Carl. And then under that post, this guy wrote, he said, you know, uh, a friend, a good friend of mine plays the Mandalorian uh, on the television show. Not Pedro Pascal, but the guy that's actually in the costume. Mm. And he said, this guy called me one day and said, hey, we need a couple kids as extras. You think you, you want to have your kids on the show? And he's like, yeah, sure. He said, so I take my kids down and they dress them up, put them in the outfits and everything. He said, somehow Carl Weathers had like radar sense and he saw my kids and he came straight over to my kids and he got down on one knee and talked to my kids and had them laughing and took them around the, took them around the stage and introduced them to everybody and showed them all the props and all that stuff. He's like, and that was a couple of years ago. My kids still, still talk about it and I'll never forget it. And man, that just made me start crying. Cause that's who that guy was. That's who he was, you know? So the whole, the whole, movie star thing wasn't really him he was a very smart guy so you know he took advantage of how to build his career when he had had that heat but if you look at the kinds of roles that he did you know from the black exploitation movies in the 70s when he had a couple bit roles to the mandalorian at the end mm -hmm. carl just worked and he wasn't really particular about the size of the role if it was a good role with good people, 
and there was an opportunity for him to learn something, he'd dive in. Mm-hmm. About what age were the kids at that time? Uh, I don't know. He didn't say, but I, you know, I, I would guess somewhere between eight and 12. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, brings back memories for me, too. Uh, I think you saw in the message that eventually made its way to you. I was out when I was in um, Southern California out with my students, and we were just out at a farmer's market. I can't recall exactly what the theme of the trip was, but it was definitely uh, something to do with, it was an annual event, and I'm pretty sure it was a farmer's market, and group of, uh, you know, special needs students, but they were uh, ambulatory, so they weren't, you know, needing a lot of assistance with mobility whatsoever. We were just more concerned that they were going to act right in public, and um, I see this guy approaching us, and you know his voice, man. He just went, ah, what do we have here? Yeah, And, yeah. I mean, was that him or what? <laughs> Yeah, that's him. That's yeah, him. and so he said, what a fine group of kids you are here, you know, and I knew who he was right away. And my, Yeah. I'm like, that's Carl Weathers. And these kids don't even know what's happening right now. Cause I, 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 it was all that I could do in that moment to keep from jumping out of my skin. I'm like, this is a This is Carl Weathers right here. And uh, you're right, man. What you just described was uh, what I experienced that day. No pretense, Yeah. no ego. He was really into the kids and just letting them know how much he appreciated their decorum, their 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 manners, their their manner of being. And I was so happy. And so, of course, I had to flex a little bit and say, "Hey, that was Carl Weathers, y'all." And uh, of course, I, I I made it into a little trivia game and said to them, "If you could tell me what." role he's most famous for. I mean, there were several. I mean, it wasn't just the one, but I was thinking of the one. And uh, one kid in particular, uh, little Oscar, uh, came back the next day, the one that was the most uh, tolerant of P-Funk music, even though he was a, a wonderful Hispanic young man. He was into the funk, man. His family had exposed him to a lot of funk and soul music. And so it wasn't a surprise at all that he was the one who came to me the next day, though I had not even prompted the class. I had forgotten I had issued that challenge. And he came up to me and said, that was Apollo Creed. I said, yeah, he sure was. He sure was. So, man, um, everything you said, I mean, when you said it almost, uh, it, it's, You know, it's it, it, that's what got me a little misty eye when I heard about what had happened. Um, how much did you uh, experience him talking about those days, man? The 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 Rocky Balboa days. You know, in hindsight, Yeah. I started to see the clips of him training with Sly Stallone at uh, the Olympic Auditorium, and we just have so much nostalgia related to that era of his career where he just took off like a rocket. You know, how much of his life before you met him did he share with you about that that period of his career? I, you know, I didn't talk to him about a lot of that stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. not, not specifically, you know, sometimes we, we'd be talking about different things and he talked, he talked in generalities, more just from general experience as opposed to, well, you know, when Stallone and I did this or such and such and I did that, you know, we, we just really didn't have, have those kind of conversations. We talked about movies a lot. He loved movies. And so, you know, we, you know, I'd say, hey, go see this, go see that. And he relied on me for um, 
for music because he like he liked to go to concerts. So uh, you know, we we would catch up and catch some shows from time to time. And once uh um is one of the great things about him was he never wore I'm Carl Weathers on his sleeve. I mean, he just was who he was. Right. And but he didn't he didn't go anywhere expecting someone to say, Oh God, you're Carl Weathers, yada yada, yada. Mm -hmm. let me do this, let me do that. Mm -hmm. So we ran into him. My wife and I ran into him and his girlfriend at the Hollywood Bowl. Gregory Porter was doing a show. Uh -huh. And um, he Great said, thing. hey, yeah, he said, hey, uh, I know Gregory. He's an, he's an alum from San Diego State. You want to meet him after the show? I'm like, yeah. It's like, OK, well, let's meet up at the at the uh, backstage entrance after the show. I'm like, OK, so we meet up there and. He goes up to the security guard. He says, hi, uh, I'm Carl Weathers. Uh, I should be on Gregory Porter's list. And the guy said, man, I don't need to look at no list. You Apollo <laughs> Creed, come on in here. You know? Come on now. Yeah, and he just took us in. It, it, was, it was funny. It was funny. And he was always gracious like that when people would just mm -hmm. freak out. He was just always cool and friendly and happy. And, you know, I mean, he was man. when... when um, I had my 60th birthday party a few years ago and uh, my brother-in-law came up. He's like, man, do you think, uh, do you think I could ask Carl Weathers for a photo? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like, you sure? I'm like, pretty sure. And he went over and Carl's like, oh, you're Mike's brother-in-law. Come on over here. You know, and he just went wow. through his whole thing, you know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. What a guy, man. What a guy. I mean, that, that voice, he was so warm, man. Just, just a regal. Mm -hmm. uh, he was, he was statesmanlike with it, and yeah. you know, just warm to everybody that was around him. I picked up on that just in the short time, man. In that short moment, um, as he would, you guys would hang out and, um, you know, just chop it up. As man, you talked about some some future projects that he had um, coming up in lieu of his time with the Mandalorian. Um, but he had other aspirations as well. Um, what was your sense of where he was headed next, given that he was such a veteran of the uh, the the industry, but he didn't give any impression whatsoever that he was ready to slow down? Or did he? I mean, did he, did he uh, hint to you that he was looking to wind down? He was getting behind the camera more. So where, well, where was he going next with his career? He was more interested in that than anything. You know, the directing really lit a fire under him and he really really liked it and you know was had opportunities beyond my mandalorian he did um i think a couple of the one of the law and order shows and there was another show uh criminal justice in mm. chicago or something he starred in that but he got to direct a couple he co-starred and he got to direct a couple episodes uh so the directing thing was really speaking to him and I don't think he was tired of acting, but I know he was really excited by directing. So I, I feel like he was looking to lean more in, into that space. And, you know, he enjoyed he enjoyed doing Mandalorian uh, quite a bit. And when they gave him opportunities to, to direct there, it was the challenges were gigantic because there's so much technology involved and there's so much um, so many other things to have to consider than just the typical elements when it comes to directing an episode of television. And so he really, he really enjoyed that because he learned a lot. Um, but at the same time, the whole star Wars thing was exhausting for him. You know, he loved it. 
and he he went to a number of the uh, Disney Star Wars conventions. Mm -hmm. uh, but man, I remember talking to him a couple times after a few after a day's worth of meeting and greeting and signing autographs, take pictures, and all that. And he's he was just worn out. He's like, man, it's great, but he said, you know, there's so much. He said, there's so much energy coming at you, and you want everybody you encounter to feel like they really had an experience, not just shake a hand and go down the line. He mm. said, so, you know, you put out a lot and then you get back to the hotel and you're just a noodle. You just want to just lay down and just be left alone because you're just worn out. Mm -hmm. But that's him. You know, he, he couldn't, he couldn't just go into automatic pilot. You know, I could imagine him, you know, doing meet and greets and he's, meeting little kids that know him from Mandalorian, then he's meeting uh, adults that know him from Happy Gilmore, then he's meeting older people that know him from Rocky and Predator. You know, so he's dealing with several different kinds of energy all day for several days. You know? mm. Wow. But he was he was he was grateful for it. You know, he was he was never complaining. He was just like, man, I'm just tired. I'm just tired. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But um but he wasn't he wasn't winding down. He 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 okay. definitely wasn't winding down. He was pacing himself. Come on. He was pacing himself to do to be able to do the things that he wanted to do the way he wanted to do it. Hmm. Stayed in the gym, huh? Because he was a, also an ex football player. Uh how much yeah. did did that play into um, you know, some of your uh activities with him, sporting outings, events such as that? Uh, I never went to the gym with him, but we used to go to Laker games. He has season tickets to Laker games, and uh, we go to a few games uh, with a couple couple other friends of his who who were also really cool guys, and we have a, have a good time. Have a great oh, time. Man. Good <laughs> stuff. Good stuff, man. Well, I tell you, man. Um, I'm oh, he was he was a hell of a cook too. Is that right? I was going to ask you. Uh, yeah, tell us more about that. What was the what was one of his more astute dishes that he would put together for everybody? Well, I, sadly, I I couldn't partake because I'm I'm allergic to shellfish. But Carl is from um, New Orleans, so he had a crab cook at his house one day, and he had these crabs and all these other crustaceans shipped in from New Orleans, and he cooked up a couple pots for about 10 of us. And then he has some stuff for people like me that couldn't eat shellfish. But, you know, Sybil, Sybil said that, she, that the crab was unbelievable. Mm. And uh, uh, I actually have a picture of him holding one of the crabs in the, in the kitchen. That was funny. Oh, wow. What is it about Carl Weathers that the world thinks they know, but they really don't? I don't know. I don't know. You know, I, I think I think that I think that whatever, like, like in the post that I had written, I said, if you didn't know Carl, but you thought from having seen him over the years that he seemed like a great guy, he was, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, he, he, uh, he was just, he was just solid. Solid. I, I mean, I, I never heard one bad thing about the brother, man. I mean, what a role model, uh, what a gift to the world, man. And, um, something that we can all aspire to we can only hope to dream and accomplish everything that he did man and um i want to send uh some condolences to you man i mean this was your brother and um his loved ones i know he's uh survived by uh he had, he had children right 
Um, had two kids and a grandkid. Yeah. Yeah. Any idea how they're doing? Um, I mean, I know they're dealing with. Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure they're like, I, I never got to meet them because they, they don't live, they don't live in state. Um, but, you know, I'm sure it's a huge loss. I know he saw them over the Christmas holiday. So, you know, it wasn't mm -hmm. that long since, uh, since they had seen each other, but, you know, his, you know, my heart, heart breaks for his girlfriend, Christine, cause she was, uh, mm. she was all about him and they have been together a long time and, 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 uh, you know, she's going through it. So we're just trying to be, be there and be supportive, uh, of her as mm -hmm. best we can. The idea that I will never feel that predator handshake and that, mm. that rock bear hug is just, you wow. know, is just a lot. And that big laugh, you know, it's the fact that that's gone. It's just, it's just, a, it's hard. It's mm. really hard. Well, that's our show, y'all. Psychotic Bump School is the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. My name is DJ Rome, and you know we're here every Monday evening from 5.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific time, and it repeats again on Friday evenings from 6.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. Pacific time. Check back with us. We shall return next week. Also want to thank our very, very special guest for the evening, Rosalind Henderson, Liz Padilla-Lively, Natasha Boyd, and of course, the good brother, Mr. Mike Stratford. Also want to send a very, very special shout out to Mr. Frank Starks, who is the Iron Man behind the board. And we're out of here, y'all. Take care.